Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, I'm going to ask um, Mike Johnson to come uh, as one of our deacons and read our scripture this morning for us. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Thank you for your reading. It's hard to follow reading like that, like I uh, powerful words of the, of the Lord. Paul began this passage saying, not that. Those are the first two words in verse 12. I think there's a desire for Paul not to be misunderstood. I can appreciate the desire. I don't like when people get my intentions or my motivations wrong. And so Paul has been speaking and he wants to make sure there's not a misunderstanding. What he, had he been speaking of? If you were here last week, we looked at how Paul talked about the righteousness that he had. And it was a righteousness much like Blake saying about a moment ago, it's a righteousness that he didn't earn. It was given to him by Jesus Christ. And so Paul has been unpacking what it means to be found righteous in Christ. Not because of what he had done, but because of what Christ had done for him. It was not his own, but he had the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And then Paul says, I, I, this Jesus who has given me righteousness, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the the fellowship. I I want to partner in, in, I want to participate in his sufferings. I I want to be conformed to his likeness, even even as he died and was willing to be obedient to death. I I want to be like Jesus. And And then we're introduced, the words that Mike just read a moment ago. But it's not like I've gotten there yet. I haven't reached it yet. Don't misunderstand, I think Paul's telling the Philippian church. I have not yet arrived. As as we think about the passage uh, this morning, I kind of want to give us two different different words, especially to to hang on this morning to kind of understand what Paul is saying. And the first one, he's largely speaking of himself. and, And he gives us a model here of what it means to focus. And that focus for him is the so that he might deal with any distractions that would come his way. And we know what that focus is. 
that focus is I want to know Christ and I've made up my aim, I've made up my goal. We see that focus in his humility. He says, I, I've not yet reached it. I've not yet reached the place that I want to be, despite the fact that Christ has reached me on that Damascus road when he opened my eyes. I've still not reached where I want to be spiritually. And then he says also that, that he wanted to make this knowledge of Christ, he wanted to make it his own. And he has this beautiful expression, like, just as Christ has made me his own. But he says, again, I've not yet arrived there. I think this should give us a lot of encouragement. Because rarely do I meet the Christian that feels like, yep, I've arrived. I can write the book on what it means to be a super Christian. I figured out some, some secrets along the way. In these last like two years, five years, decades of walking with Christ, I now can share with you what it means to arrive spiritually. I'm perfect. I've achieved everything. I'm completely mature. If you've ever felt a little bit less than that, I hope we all have feel that on a pretty regular basis. You can identify with Paul. It's not an excuse for Paul not to be where he should be spiritually. But he desires to be perfect, and he just wants you to know, wants the Philippians to know, wants me to know, I've not, I've not yet arrived there. But don't, don't mistake his humility for a lack of intensity, because he does have intensity, and he pursues. Listen to what he says, and, and, and you can see it in the scriptures. He says, I am pressing on to make this knowledge of Christ my own. I, I'm pressing on. I'm, I'm straining forward. These are words of effort, vigorous effort. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm, I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm holding true. And he urges them to hold true to what they have attained. Even in the next chapter, in verse 1, he'll say, you ought to stand firm in all of this. Pressing on, straining forward, pressing on, holding true, standing firm. This is full pursuit. What this is not... It's as if Paul has ex experienced Christ on the Damascus Road, given his life to him, and then kind of just found the spiritual cruise control. I love to use cruise control when I'm going down the highway, where it's not too much traffic, and you can just kind of set it and go. You don't have to worry going too much. You can keep pace. I, I love it. Don't have to think about it a lot. Sometimes I wonder spiritually, do we think that's the way the Christian life is? It's mainly just a ride on, on cruise control. Oh, yeah, occasionally you got a slow driver, you got to kind of pump, pump the brakes and then reset. But most of all, very few obstacles, just kind of cruising to meet Jesus. Is that your idea of the Christian life? Not being smart, dog, but I, I think you need to read your Bible more. That's just not the way it goes. It's not the way Paul thought it would go. So Paul said, I am, I'm straining, I'm giving effort. And he actually takes us almost to like we're, we're at, a, at a track meet. Or to swim meet. So to track meet, you're, you're watching the, the runners as they get near the finish line and you see them even begin to put their torso forward. The ones who really want to, to beat the person next to them or really want to improve their time are the ones that are straining forward so that they get across the line. I love in the 
Olympics watching uh, some of the swim meets, especially when, they're, when those races are close and you see them swimming, swimming, and they're pressing hard and hard and harder. And then you just see them begin to inch out their hands and they're trying to touch the wall with everything they've got there. They're straining forward and that is exactly the picture that Paul wants us to have. Spiritually, we're straining, we're pressing on. This is not in cruise control. It's full pursuit. And he says, to do that, I have to forget, forget what's behind what does that mean? He has no recollection of whatever's happened in his past. Certainly not, because he, he, he does. He, he'll tell the story of what's happened, what it does mean. As he's not always looking over his shoulder to see how much ground he's gained. Looking over his shoulder to see, where's everybody else in this? He's got, he's got a goal. He's got a focus. And it eliminates distractions. I'm sure he thought of the past. I mean, he tells us he does. He tells us of what happened before in his life. But that that past is never like a reason for him to relax and take it easy. Like, look how far I've come. It's all good now. It always keeps him focused. Effort. This is what it requires. Some of you are new Christians and some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. It takes effort to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It takes effort. It takes attention to nourish yourself spiritually. It takes time in God's Word. It takes sacrifice. It takes discipline. These things don't just magically happen. If I just kind of go the path of least resistance, I'll get lazy spiritually. I won't strain toward anything. I'll only call upon the Lord when I feel a little bit of pressure and say, Lord, help help me out a little bit. It takes a a full-on focus and pursuit of of the Lord. It takes attention, like effort, to be involved in a community, like our, our, our church fellowship here. I don't pretend. It takes effort because there's times where the path of least resistance would you would be you bailing out and not coming on a Sunday. Or the next, or the next, or the next. It takes effort. It takes effort to be patient with one another. Because there's times where you've just had it. You don't care to deal with somebody. You're frustrated, you're tired. It takes effort to love each other well, to pour into each other's life, to look over people's faults. It takes effort. Let's not pretend otherwise. It takes effort to sacrificially love our neighbor. It doesn't just magically happen. It takes effort, it takes focus, and that is exactly what Paul is saying. And, and the, I love the way he, he words it here in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's as if for Paul that, that there's this call that God has given him that's ringing in his ear. And I don't think that's just a call to be an apostle or a call to be a pastor. I think it's a call to be a Christian. And that call is coming to him and saying... And, it, and it's summoning him to, to keep pressing on. And, and, he, and he does. He keeps hearing God's voice saying, keep pressing on. Keep giving effort. Keep pursuing an upward direction with your life. Keep pursuing holiness. Keep giving it everything you've got. There's no doubt that it's God working in us. No doubt at all. But we're still told to work out our salvation. So Paul says no one has arrived. And because no one has arrived, not even Paul has arrived then he has to give effort to focus so he's not distracted. 
He's not on cruise control. Paul says, kind of in an autobiography, this is what I do, but then his pastor's heart comes out and he begins to say, here's, here's what I want for you. And, and, we, and we see some of that, even beginning in verse 17. He, he wants to share with people that he cares for, his burden for them. And what he does is he reminds them of their need, not just for focus, but for examples. Examples to guard them from danger. We all watch people. We all mimic their life. And what Paul's going to do is, is give them examples so that they can see kind of two very different paths to go down. And as they look at those paths, they'll be guarded from danger. Paul says it this way, follow me, imitate me. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes, not just on me, but those who walk according to the example you have in us. I mean, so Paul doesn't think he's arrived. We know that. He's already said he hasn't arrived. So why is he saying, follow me, imitate me, join me? In what way is he calling on them to follow him? I think if we just look at the previous verses, what he's saying is, join me in my ambition to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and even participating with him in his sufferings. Join me in this. Join me in this ambition. Imitate me just as I am pressing on, not getting distracted, as I'm forgetting what's behind, as I'm reaching forward to the, the thing that's before, as I'm looking for this prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Join me in that. Where you see any sort of pursuit in my heart spiritually of Christ, join me in that. His burning ambition to finish the race, to win the prize. It's interesting, as you have God's word in front of you in verse 17, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk. It's a really important word in scripture. Those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is not just about religious affiliation. This is about how are you living. That's what it means with walk. If we were to kind of fill out that word, everyone's walking, we're all making choices, we're all making decisions. We all have a mindset. We all have behaviors. We all have an attitude. We're all walking. All of us are. And what Paul says, what, what he's burdened for is that they would, they would imitate him in his walk as he is walking with the Lord. These are the words of, you might hear a teacher that says, watch me do this because you're going to have to do this. These are the words that a coach would say, here, watch me. We're, I'm going to show you how to do this drill and now you're going to do it. This is the, the, this is the way you, you go to YouTube trying to figure out how to fix something or another, and you get some example. Some guy says, I'll tell you how to fix the whatever. First, watch me. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Watch me. And Paul says, you watch me as I walk spiritually. You watch the choices I make. You watch the decisions I make. You watch the attitude I have. You watch how I handle adversity. You imitate me so much as I'm, I'm following Christ. What a bold thing to say. I think it implies something very important, as that is there are people around us close enough to watch, close enough to imitate. I don't think you'll satisfy that commitment by just attending here an hour or so every few weeks. I don't think that's enough for people to see your life. I think it involves more community than that, where your life is exposed to other people and they see you and and, and you learn I can imitate them, or they learn I, I can imitate you. 
Are there younger Christians that you could issue this same word to, like, follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ? Are there older Christians, more mature Christians that you could reach up to? Could you watch them, their decisions, their relationships, their mindset? Could you ask for help? The way they parent, the way they spend their money, the way they handle trials. You say, I need some help. I've watched you. I've been close enough to see some things in your life. I, I just, would you help me with this? Paul says, imitate us. Because we're giving you one example, but there is another example. There is another way you can walk. There's another path you can go down. He has the courage to call out something very important. He says, there's a way to walk in such a way, verse 18, for many of whom I have told you, and I tell you again now, even with tears, they walk. They don't walk as followers of Jesus. They walk as enemies of the cross. So Paul has this courage to say, actually what seems in 2017, the one thing you you shouldn't say, and that is there are those whose spiritual life is a wreck. And they're actually walking away from who God is from what the cross is all about. He didn't get the memo that you shouldn't criticize someone else's life choices. He said, there are those, and I've told you about them before, I'm going to tell you about them again. That if you follow them, you're walking away from the cross. You're actually putting on the opposite jersey and saying, I'm actually an enemy of the cross. Despite the fact that you may name yourself as a Christian, despite the fact that you would carry a Bible, despite the fact that Christmas means a lot to you or Easter means wonderful things to you, despite the fact that you wouldn't mind being classified as a Christian, if you're walking in a certain way, you're actually walking as an enemy of the cross, not toward what the Lord has done. This is a strong word. I don't think he just means like, oh yeah, yeah, Curtis, there's enemies of the cross. Those are those cults. Those are the enemies of the cross. I don't know that Paul's necessarily, surely he's worried about that. I don't know that that's expressly what he's speaking to here. I don't even know that he's expressly speaking to just think about the worst sin imaginable and Paul's saying, yeah, that's an enemy of the cross there. I think it has to be somewhat plausible for these Philippians to look at that life and say, oh, there's a couple things maybe appealing there. And then they begin to walk as an enemy of the cross. And he says, don't do that. There's lifestyles that do not peaceably coexist with a follower of Jesus because it's going the opposite direction. And Paul begins to work it out in a pretty stern warning. Verse 19, he says, These enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. What I know you know is nobody sets out to destroy their lives. Nobody actually wants that. But here he says, If you walk as an enemy of the cross, your end is destruction. Despite the fact that God loved this world so that no one would perish, he sent his only son. There are those that will perish. Why does it end this way? Because their God, it says, is their their belly or their appetite. They indulge the flesh. The ultimate authority in their, their life is their own flesh, saying, if it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, go ahead. Who is anybody else to tell you to be a judge? Who should say you can or can't do that? Seriously. Your flesh, your appetites, that's what rules. This is the enemy of the cross. And the sad part is it ends in what was expected to be like someone's glory. I did things my way. 
when you meet the Lord, I don't think he's so impressed with you doing things your way or me doing things my way. It actually turns into something that there's shame for. And this isn't like, gee, I, I'm, I'm a little red-faced because I'm ashamed. It's that eternal shame. Because you've realized you've built your life on something that cannot sustain the final judgment of God. How serious is Paul pouring his life out saying, don't go that way. He says even the whole mindset has become earthly. What he's saying is there's this earthly domain where, where let's face it, sin seems to have a lot of sway, a lot of rule. Where there are value systems that are against God. He says the whole mindset is earthly. Earthly realms, the current, the present. No thought to think of, like, what about eternity? Never bringing God into it. So there is a way that's the enemy of the cross, moving away from the cross. It says, actually, there's, you don't need self-denial. You don't need a humility or obedience. It's kind of another pathway to that. It's all about cheap grace. God is the genie, the servant. We'll just do whatever your whim is. Paul says, there's another way that's going to move you away from the cross, and I'm telling you, don't go down that path. So, so what are some things that he could potentially be talking about? Could he be talking about that impulse? We say, we, we want to have stuff, we want to have possessions, we want to have things, nice things, real nice things, and a lot of nice things. Paul says that end is destruction, but let's kind of follow the path. An appetite that says, I, I don't care the cost. I don't care about the debt. I don't care about whatever. I'm just going to get what I want and I'm going to buy and I'm going to buy and I'm going to buy and I'm going to get more stuff and I'm going to be able to look at my stuff and love my stuff and get the latest and the greatest and I'm going to look at my fortune and everything I have acquired and all the, the millions of dollars and everything that I have of my own. I'm going to look at it and I'm going to glory in that. And Paul says, that's to your shame. Your mindset is on something earthly. Or perhaps it's in, in the sexual realm where you say, I, I'm going to make my God, my ultimate authority, what I want to do, what I want to feel, what I want to experience. And so while, while God, the true God, has spoken clearly, that sex is for a husband and wife in marriage, you know, offer and say, no, no, I'm not going to listen to that God. I'm going to listen to the God of my body that says whatever I want to do, whether it's pornography, whether it's an inappropriate relationship, whether it's a fantasy world where I'm, I'm living in lust and desire and all this, I'm going to do what I want. Am I, it, it feels good. It must be good. It must be right. And we're going to pursue that and go down a, a path that is destructive, a mindset that only thinks about like the next five minutes and not eternity. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's a relationship that has begun to call all the shots in your life. And you just, you can't get enough of what it means to be in charge, to be in control, to be looked at as smart, to be looked at as powerful. And your vision is, is getting narrower and narrower because you're seeing this earth and you're saying, this is what it all it is. I just want this. I want it right now. The end is destruction. The end is hell apart from God. I read this and what I recognize is that apart from the work of Christ, 
were actually all enemies of the cross. Gladly running in that direction. So if you hear me like saying, oh, there's a lot of bad people out there, I actually said, no, 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 wait a minute, we're all enemies of the cross. We're all, our, our, our God is our own appetite. Our mindset is earthly. Except for the fact that what Jesus has done has changed some things about us. And that's why I love verse 20, because it says, but our citizenship, Paul says, all this is true. There is a pathway away from the cross, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced that something was going on differently with them. He says, your citizenship, the realm that you're living it is right now in heaven. See, we, we often think of heaven as something in the future, but Paul actually pulls the future into the present, doesn't he? He says, your citizenship right now is in heaven. It is presently. You're a citizen of another, of another realm. This is where Christ rules, not where sin rules. Where eternity matters supremely, not where we just get whatever we can before we, before we pass away. Our citizenship as a community of heaven invading the earth, a community formed around the Lamb who was slain on the cross to bring people to God and to bring them toward each other. He says, from that, from that, from heaven, you await a Savior, a Savior who came in humility and was obedient to the point of death and will come again. You wait for Him to come again and set this world right. You wait for Him. So how can we be so earthly focus where that's all we see when we know, well, wait a minute, there is another realm that matters much more than this one. Because there will be a new heavens and a new earth of which Christ will be the king of. You have a savior. He came to your rescue. He did that once. He's promised to do that again. So we think through the, the lens of the future. It says even with this hope, we, we have hope in this savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform This lowly body, this weak body, this decaying body, he's going to transform that into something like his glorious body. Faith becomes sight, God finishes what he starts. Walked even recently into a room where a lady was fine one day and the next day had a stroke and never, never regained consciousness and met the Lord. What I know about her is this weak body, this lowly body has been transformed into something glorious. This life surely goes beyond the grave. And this happens because of the power that is able to subject everything to himself. Paul says, I'm pressing on I'm pressing on toward the prize. I have this focus. And in, in having this focus, I want you to see you need examples. And so you need to look around, church, at people that seem to be living life well. And you say, I want to pattern my life after them. I want to imitate them as they follow Christ. I want to follow. Because I don't want to be, live as if I'm an enemy of the cross. But I want to live truly as one who's been made a friend. Who's been so characterized by the cross that I've been made new. Oh, this is perfect for us today to come to the Lord's table 
Because this is what we're going to do. We're going to proclaim the Lord's death. We're going to say we are his followers. We are going to identify as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to identify that what he has done is our supreme treasure. Nothing else matters. We're going to identify with his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We're going to submit once again to his rule and say, not my will, but yours be done. You died and, remember, and we, we remember you in your body broken, in your blood shed. We come around your table enjoying fellowship with you. And I ask you to bow your head. Our deacons are going to prepare in a moment they're going to serve us. But this is the moment where we all prepare our hearts, where we say, is there any way in which I've been living as if I'm an enemy of the cross rather than a citizen of heaven? Is there anything I need to do to stir in my heart that what matters is that Jesus is coming again? They're going to distribute the bread and the juice in in this time. Take a moment to reflect in your heart and our, our band will also give us kind of a thought about our welcome to the Lord and all that he's done for us.